This is the One Accord Podcast, and today's subject of conversation is the kingdom of God. So let's uh, get right to uh, bringing in our panel of team members. Brother Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning, Joe. Good to see you. Uh, good yeah, to see you, as always. Too. Anything new or exciting in your world? Oh, just, um, well, yeah, we managed to get through most of the Christmas holiday. My vacate, my, you know, my holiday is nearly over, so uh, excited to get back to work. Excited to get back to work. I think last time we talked about it, I asked you... Uh, uh, why you were banging your head into things. And you said, if I, if I worked where you worked, I would bang my head into things too. So you're yeah, excited well, to get back to banging your head into things. Well, people at work watch this. So, I, you know, perhaps my boss is watching. And so I'm excited to get back to work. Sure. No, I understand. Well, work is a good thing. And so I'm, I'm excited it for is. you to get back to work as well. So, uh, and let's bring in a guy who never has to get back to work until Sunday, I guess. Uh, it's uh, Pastor Amen. Eric. Pastor Eric, <laughs> how are you doing today? How could I be bad with a schedule <laughs> yeah. like that? It's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing great. I uh, uh, got through the Christmas season, like uh, like Greg said, and um, in in a way, uh, happy that it's over. But um, looking forward to the new year and what what God will bring in that new year. It is uh, a time of year where um, you know people are reflecting and looking forward, and uh, I do uh, uh, look forward to uh, it. I don't know. Hopefully, a very fruitful new year for for each and every one of us. And so, uh, as always, I am glad for you uh, guys being uh, with me today as we can talk about things that uh, hopefully are an encouragement and an edification to one another and uh, to anybody who would be watching. And so, as I already mentioned, today's subject of conversation is the kingdom of God. And uh, I was sharing with you guys before we started filming that uh, my experience anyway is that most Christians that I talk to, maybe even every Christian, although I always hesitate to, to use that kind of absolute language. There are probably some people who don't, but most Christians that I talk to uh, at some point will mention the kingdom of God in some form or fashion. But I've also noticed that very few of them seem to either have a very clear idea of what that means, or uh, if they do have a clear idea, if they were to explain it, it means something very different to them than it does to somebody else that I might be talking to. And so um, I don't know if your guys' experience is the same as mine, if you kind of have that same thought. But, I mean, when, when people say kingdom of God, are, is everybody always 100% on the same page uh, in, in your experience? No, for sure not. I, I'd say that, yeah, most of us have a very underdeveloped, and that probably even goes for me too, just an underdeveloped idea of what we mean. But like so many things, um, perhaps it can mean different things at different times. And so there's that misunderstanding as we talk about it. I think there are different views of the kingdom of God, just like there are different views of many things that are mentioned in Scripture. And uh, there are some that would even say that, that the kingdom of God in no sense um, exists yet uh, on the earth, and that we're still waiting for that. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely different, um, different views. I've heard I've heard a number of different views. I've even heard people say that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of Christ. Um, so, kingdom uh, yeah, of heaven, can, David's, David's kingdom, all, all these can either be differentiated or, or uh, blended together as the, uh, as the interpreter sees fit, it seems. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely um, a plethora of different views and interpretations. So um, looking forward to unpacking some of that today. I, you know, I, I, I know that when we 
kind of argue from our experience or just talk about our experiences. Uh, each of us are, are very limited in that regard, no matter how many people we've talked to, there's still uh, so many more, but it is, you know, interesting just to, to hear that, that our experiences are at least are very similar. Certainly I've seen the same thing. You know, my, my view of this uh, uh, particular topic has changed much over time. Um, I'm sure that I still have much to learn on this as well. And so I'm looking forward to interacting with you guys and, and hearing your thoughts and perspectives. Uh, as we get started in the conversation, uh, we're, we're going to kind of uh, at least begin with the outline that I had started uh, in the, the articles that I've uh, written on this topic. Uh, I've mentioned them in previous videos. I'll link to them again uh, down below in the description here uh, of this video. Uh, if anybody's watching, you know, those are free articles. You can take the time to read if you'd like. You don't need to have read those to, to follow along with the conversation, but it at least provide a, a, an initial uh, brief outline for us to to kind of talk through, and then uh, we'll see where the conversation goes from there. But I kind of wanted to tell you guys the story of how I even came about um, doing that. I have a, a good friend of mine, uh, a brother in Christ, who uh, has a school of ministry that he's a part of, and he had asked me to uh, teach a class on the kingdom of God as part of that um, part of that ministry that he was doing. And um, the reason that he was asking me to do it is because he had evaluated uh, a number of materials, and he just didn't find that there was anything that was really um, satisfactory. And so, um, you know, kind of as we already talked about before, there's a lot of um, incomplete studies out there. There's a lot of people who maybe will grab certain verses here and there, and they really weave it into a, a, a very particular form of picture. Uh, as you mentioned, Eric, there are some who would uh, weave those verses together that would make it seem like the kingdom of God has no relevance uh, here on earth. Greg, I'm not sure if some of the um, authors that you've mentioned before, particularly uh, that you've set out of the premillennial dispensational camp that, that seem to reject, uh, at least as you've told us, that seem to reject the lordship of Christ now, if maybe they would fall into that group. Um, certainly, as I've labeled myself as a premillennial dispensational, I, I don't fall into that. And so, the <laughs> Eric, you've called yourself a, a weird amillennial before. Maybe I am a weird premillennial dispensationalist in the fact that um, I'm not sure that my view really aligns well with others who share that label. Um, and so, you know, my friend said, hey, I, I, I'd like you to teach this class. Um, anytime someone asks me to teach something, I, I take that very seriously. I had, I had done some very brief teaching on the kingdom of God previously, and uh, my friend had um, been exposed to that. So he said, well, I, I know that you had at least something. Um, and so I knew it wasn't enough to do like a six-week uh, teaching on. And so I went into intensive study mode. And Greg, you've mentioned before uh, on earlier episodes that kind of your um, method for study is when you're really looking into something, you kind of, you want to begin at the beginning, go all the way from Genesis to Revelation and see what does the Bible actually say about this. And so that's the method that I followed for this. Um, I had a, a short period of time uh, to, to actually prepare the class materials. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Like if you usually give yourself a time limit, but I kind of, well, as soon as I said, I'm going to teach this clock, this class, you know, the clock starts. And so I kind of went into the uh, intensive study mode for probably about six months and, um, you know, just spent hours and hours and hours most days uh, going from beginning to end, looking at everything that the Bible had to say about the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, I, I will also mention that my friend uh, is part of, part of the local church context. Um, I knew that they believed different things about the kingdom of God than I did currently, you know, when I was doing that study. And so, you know, because I don't want to be divisive, um, 
my friend knew that. And I, he, he said, you know, he wasn't putting any muzzle on me saying that I had to teach a certain thing or I had to agree with certain principles. But I, I knew if I'm going to go in there and teach something about the kingdom of God, I want to be as rock solid as possible that everything I'm teaching is, is very thoroughly biblical. And so the intention was look at everything that the Bible says about the kingdom. And as it turns out, it's a lot. Like there is a lot about the kingdom of God. And um, so the articles that ended up being published on our website um, were published after I taught that class. Um, you know, they're not as fully digested as maybe I would want like a book kind of to be. It, it was more appropriate for a, a, a blog article series to kind of get just a lot of information out of there. And for anybody who would be interested in at least kind of following along in the general suite, but doesn't really want to take the time to read all the articles. I get that. Um, if you were to just open up your Bible to the first two chapters and read Genesis chapter one and chapter two, and then flip all the way to the end of your Bible and read the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation uh, 21 and 22, um, you would see that there is on the bookends of scripture um, that God has created a world and it was in a, a, an idyllic state. And then God is bringing back about that idyllic state. And as soon as you stop reading the, those chapters in your Bible and you look at the world in which we live, you realize we, we do not live in that idyllic state. Uh, and so everything that follows in between, you know, Genesis 3 gives the reason for uh, the fall uh, and the biblical explanation of why we live in the world in which we do. Uh, and the rest of the Bible explains how God is going to bring about that final state, which is what, as Christians, we look forward to. Um, and so in my mind, everything including Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 uh, in the Bible, is describing the kingdom of God. That becomes, for me, the overarching theme, really, of the entirety of Scripture. And the article series that I, I, I wrote, the first article was an overview of the kingdom, uh, which kind of focuses on looking at what the beginning says, what the end says, and just kind of how God is bringing those things together. Then there's an article just on what the kingdom talks about in the Old Testament, that's very much related to a lot of the conversations that we had about who is Israel um, and, you know, the kingdom of God in some ways, Greg, as you mentioned, it's not always used in exactly the same way, in some ways becomes almost synonymous with the kingdom of Israel. But there are times in the Old Testament when uh, very interesting statements are made that uh, are not even necessarily hints that are, are part of, I think, that mystery that becomes more fully revealed that God always intended for the kingdom to be bigger than just Israel, that the kingdom was going to eventually include uh, Gentiles in a similar way that it included Israel. Um, a lot of that is what we see fulfilled in the church. Um, but the kingdom of God reigned beforehand. The kingdom of God was over Adam and Eve. The kingdom of God was over Enoch and, and Methuselah and Noah. The kingdom of God was over Abraham and Moses. And so Old Testament focuses on a lot of that. The kingdom of God even existed after God judged uh, the northern kingdom uh, of Israel through Assyria, and the kingdom of God continued to exist after God scattered his people uh, from the southern kingdom of Judah into Babylon. Uh, and there's actually a really interesting passage when uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of lost his mind. You guys remember this, I'm sure. And then he comes back to his senses, and really in all uh, visible senses of the word, he would have been called the king of kings, like his kingdom was the most massive on earth. And yet he looked to heaven and he praises the God of heaven and earth and says that your kingdom of God reigns over all the kingdoms of earth. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the, the general gist. And so he saw this bigger picture 
that existed when the temple lay in ruins and the people, you know, uh, the, the nation of Israel was scattered out of their land. And so there, this, this bigger concept of the kingdom of God was, was present even then. Uh, the next article, uh, the New Testament talks so much about the kingdom, even though it's shorter than the Old Testament. I broke it into two articles. Um, the first one is uh, the kingdom and the gospels and, you know, the parables of Jesus Christ and, and a lot of his teaching. He talks so much about the kingdom of God. He was talking about the kingdom of God just all the time. And then uh, the next article is the, the kingdom of God and the rest of the New Testament. And again, I was, uh, that was probably the most convicting part for me. I, you know, again, we always, you know, probably as we study the Bible for a long time, we always have at least bits and pieces, you know, but I was, I was very much convicted by um, just the centrality of how the kingdom of God uh, continued to be a part of the apostolic preaching and the teaching in the New Testament. And it's something that's easy to miss. You know, we can focus on uh, the morality or we can focus on other issues, uh, but the kingdom of God remains this theme that is still even, it's just, it's very much present. Um, and uh, even just like the parallels and the content of James and the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of the ethics and the morality, um, a lot of this is still tied to kingdom teaching that when Jesus was originally teaching that stuff and presenting it, he was presenting uh, conduct for how his people ought to live under his lordship, under his rule um, in his kingdom. Um, and so then the last two articles become kind of some more synthesis. And um, I'm passionate about preaching the gospel and having the gospel be preached and equipping others to preach the gospel and doing so in you know, our, our daily lives. I think that's part of being a regular Christian is that we are um, able to, to evangelize. And so that fifth article is, uh, is the relationship between the gospel and the kingdom. And again, I think that that very much relates to some of the conversation that we were having in Christian nationalism, that when I say the gospel should be preached, um, I, I mean something, at least currently, deeper than a lot of people mean when they say preaching the gospel, which does include a lot of the things that you were emphasizing, Greg, that there is a God in heaven, and that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he is king, and that we ought to submit to him, and that Jesus being Lord means something. It's not just that all my sins are forgiven, although that's true. It's not just that I get to go to heaven when I die, although that is true, but that entails a, a changed life where we're no longer walking in darkness, but now are walking in light of his kingdom. Um, and then the last article um, was five perspectives that just kind of come up over and over and over again when talking about the kingdom of God um, and its priests, ambassadors, children. One is negative. It's about enemies. It's if we don't yield these things. We can actually live as enemies of the gospel of Christ. And the last one is as stewards, given with a super helpful acronym, PACES, so that we can keep pace with grace. You know, when you're teaching a class, you got to come up with things that are easy to remember and stuff. So it's a little, uh, little cutesy, but it, it happened organically. Those were the, the five perspectives that really stood out. And so the kingdom of God, for me, as I, I mentioned, as I'll, and I'll wind this up because I want to hear your guys' perspective, um, is the overarching thing that is bigger than Israel, bigger than the church, um, not that that is to diminish the importance of Israel or to diminish the importance of the church. That is to hold both of those up very, very high, but put the kingdom of God up even higher. Um, I don't believe that it is here on earth yet. I know that we've talked about eschatology. I do believe that it is still in heaven, that it will come to earth when Jesus returns. Of course, I am premillennial, so I, I believe that that will then usher in um, that uh, a millennial kingdom, literal millennial kingdom in the future that will also be part of the kingdom of God. And so this to me is the kind of the spine and the overarching 
doctrine that really allows for all of the various dispensations and covenants to be attached to. It's all under this thing that in the end, when we all finally enter into that never-ending kingdom, that will include all the redeemed from every age, every era, every dispensation, every way that God has ever saved. And when I say every way that God has ever saved, it is still always through Christ. It's just that, you know, people were looking forward to the promised coming of the Messiah before Christ came, looking, uh, now we look back in remembrance of the coming of the Messiah, but it was always by, by faith in God's promises. So um, I'll stop there for now and see, because I know that there's a ton of different ways that our conversation could go. Um, but I mean, are we in general agreement or is, I, I, you guys think I'm way off in the weeds? Uh, what say you? On go ahead, Greg. Oh, yeah. You caught me uh, looking up texts. Um, <clears throat> I was yeah, doing no, the same. I, yeah, <laughs> that's why you threw me under the bus. I, I suppose if you're going to be caught doing something, looking in your Bible is one looking, of the, the best yeah. things you could be caught doing. I guess. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I think for sure um, we have major agreement. There are, there are things that I would want to, and probably the the largest thing that I would want to draw draw your attention to, as far as what I disagree with, that idea that um, the kingdom of heaven does not exist in any form or fashion on earth, that it is only in heaven. Um, I believe Christ is reigning on earth. Um, now, do I believe that there aren't people who are still in rebellion? No, of course, it's it's completely obvious there are people still in rebellion. Um, but I want to be careful how I phrase this. It is, Joe, I believe, yeah, um, <laughs> trying to think how to, how to put this together right. Um, I believe that, that Jesus's kingship extends to earth right now um, in, in many ways. Is that in its fullness? No, we're looking forward to the fullness when, when he does show up bodily. Um, but in no way would I feel comfortable saying that Christ's kingship is only a heavenly kingship. So let's maybe drill down on that, uh, since you said that that's kind of the biggest area. Um, so my response to that, or what I would say to that, is that one of these perspectives, uh, the, the perspective of ambassadors, um, is the one that is most relevant, that um, I believe we are waiting for this heavenly kingdom to come, I would say that there is some exercise of authority on earth through the ambassadors. However, uh, that language to me, like if I said that I'm an ambassador of the United States and I'm here in the United States, that, that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because um, then there's this other language that talks about how I'm an alien and then a stranger. And so in what sense would I be both well, an alien and a stranger and an what, ambassador at the same did, time. In what sense did Nebuchadnezzar fall to his knees? Like what was Nebuchadnezzar under um, this, this rule and authority of the kingdom? Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. And this pr probably is my biggest, one of my biggest, um, just where I fail to understand where dispensationalists come from. And, and I, and I read this somewhere, this isn't me making this up, but they say that, in general, dispensationalism, the things you hold to, it's a hermeneutic, and, and you can't believe it if you don't don't accept certain things. And and so I don't accept that Christ's rule and authority, um, that, that we have the ability to, to succeed and to have victory over sin here on earth, and that we can, you know, um, yeah. Um, I want to venture into other areas that I, that I don't want to have to explain. So I'm trying to be very careful here. Um, 
do you do you say that Christ is not reigning right now? What authority do you have to command <laughs> to command people to repent, if not by the the reign and authority of Christ, the rule and authority of Christ here on earth? So you know, you guys have talked about the Great Commission before. Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me; therefore, go." So he has all authority. God always he is, has all authority. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth, says John. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and, and so if 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 he's not, if he has no kingdom here on earth, how is he ruler of the kings of the earth? That there's just a disconnect there that I can't seem to bridge. So I don't. I guess I don't know how you would answer that. Like how how was that true before he called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and made of them a nation? Like his kingdom ruled over the kingdoms of the earth. His, he he sat. The the texts uh, uh, the Bible say that he sat as king uh, during the flood. That there was no. You know, the, basically the whole world, aside from Noah and his household, were in rebellion against God. So, again, I don't, I guess I don't really understand where the disconnect is. Um, the scriptures say that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He has authority. It also says that the world is in rebellion against him. And so, what authority do I have as an ambassador? I would have the same authority that any ambassador would have. If the ambassador, if I was an ambassador of our U.S. government and he sent me to, I don't know, China, I'm not a politician. This is not, this is all hypothetical. You guys know very well. But if I go to China, I have no authority in China other than to say what the, the person who sent me says. I can tell them something and they that's can a bad look at analogy, me and go, though. I mean, that's a bad analogy. How? That's the language well, that's used. So how well, is that a bad analogy? The, the, the bad analogy is um, we are told in, in, in this example, for it to be a good analogy, the United States would have to have reign, rule, and authority over China, right? Um, you're talking about going to to so, you're talking about one sovereign nation going to another sovereign nation, and you serving as an ambassador. But you're talking about going as an ambassador of one who has authority over China. America, the United States, has no authority over China. Yet God sitting in throne, Christ sitting in throne in heaven, has authority over China. So when you go to when you go to China as an ambassador, you're going to to a vassal of of Christ. I think that you're overthinking the and overpressing the analogy because I think you're, I'm not I think the you're one, underdeveloping it. I'm not the one who made up the terminology of an ambassador for Christ. So if you have take issue with that language, there is no example of any nation that has power over all the nations of the earth. So God inspired Paul and others to write terminology that has no earthly full analogy. This is, I think, the issue that, like you said before, these hermeneutical issues, I, I think that you, uh, in, in this issue and in other issues when we were talking about um, you know, certain texts, you go beyond what's being said. The idea of an ambassador, I am an alien and a stranger here on earth. I am a resident of a kingdom that doesn't exist here. So that's what the language is saying. In context, you're, you're that's assuming, what all these passages you're say. You're assuming that it could not possibly be that, that a Susitarian high king, the, the, the high lord, couldn't send an ambassador to one of his vassals to declare things, to to issue commands to him. What would you call, I mean, let's assume that the high king isn't going to himself in body 
travel to one of his vassal lords, he would be sending a ambassador to those lesser kings to declare to those lesser kings, you're, you're only allowing for a modern day structure of equal sovereign nations. You're taking into no account um, as this ambassador language is being used, um, ambassadors being used to talk from higher kings, greater lords to lesser lords. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'd have to, I guess I'd have to look into that more. I, I, I have done study on that. I don't think that this is just some modern thing. I think that this language is similar. And I don't think when Caesar sent somebody uh, to go and, and talk to somebody, it was anything like what Paul did when Paul went to talk to Caesar. Paul's appealing to, as we talked about in our last episode, he's appealing to Festus and Agrippa. Um, he, he was appealing to the system that they had in place. And in many ways, he was submitting to their authorities. He talks about how we're supposed to be in submission to these other authorities and rulers. If Caesar, as the king and the emperor of the Roman Empire, sent people around, they weren't going. No, nobody. He wasn't sending somebody to go talk to Herod and being like, oh, Herod, if you'll, you know, listen and please, you know, whatever. He just would tell him what to do and say, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. That's what that's how he would talk. So the language, even in the Bible, it doesn't the seem does to. The gospel does that too, is repent and, and believe doesn't. or else be judged. Yeah, but it, it doesn't bring the same type of, uh, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't bring the same type of force. And the way that they appeal, even when Peter says, look, you, you do what you got to do, we're going to keep preaching. And when they throw them in jail, they just get thrown in jail. Like, that's not how you would treat, um, it, it just, it, it, it's not, the analogy, the way you're saying it seems way too strong, especially in the actual examples we see of how the early Christians lived. I feel that they fit much better with what I'm saying that they lived as aliens and strangers in a land where they had the right and authority to declare the message of their king, but they also knew that they were often going to be, um, and it's it only, part of that rebellion. It only fits better if you presume um, a lack of authority on behalf of Christ. So what does that look like to you then, I guess? It, it, because I see them um, being imprisoned. I see them having their homes confiscated. I see them uh, being thrown to the lions and wolves, torn and in, torn into pieces, uh, sawn in half. Th these are all things that happened, recorded in like Hebrews I, eleven. And I stuff. don't reject so, the the rebellion against the king, but it's only rebellion if he has authority. Like, you can't rebel against a equal sovereign. You can't rebel against a sovereign who's lesser than you. You you rebel against a sovereign who has authority over you. Um, there is no mutiny on a ship against the cook, right? Um, there's a mutiny against the captain. Um, and in the same way, so if, if we're going to talk about them rebelling against the rule of Christ, we have to assume they're under the rule of Christ, that they're under his authority and kingship. Again, I, I don't know why you hear me saying that they're, that they're not. Uh, of course they are. All of creation has always been under the rule and authority of God. We are the creation. He's the creator. He can do with us as he pleases, of course. So nothing in my view, nothing that I have, have expressed now or have ever expressed would deny any of that. The reality, though, is that the rebellion that we're talking about and the nature of, again, what is this authority? What do we have? In what way do we have an authority? Like the, the way you're describing it, there was a penalty of force that these ambassadors could bring. They could go and wage war even if, if they're coming. If, if, you, if, you listen, if you don't listen to what Caesar sent, there was no, um, there was no oh, okay, they didn't listen. Like 
That is not the state in which we've existed for a really long time. Now, eventually, Christ will return, and he will bring the recompense. Um, and I, <laughs> there's, my, there's my argument. There's my penalty. Um, right, know, but that's uh, not something that we do. That's not any authority that, that I wield. I, I, and so I am an ambassador here, and I wait for my king to come from heaven to earth. I believe that we read about that in Revelation chapter 19. It's the same thing with Caesar. Um, if an ambassador shows up and tells a lesser lord, tells a vassal, do this or else, it's not the ambassador who's going to bring the sword. It's Caesar who's going to send the sword. Um, well, crazy. that's not necessarily true. I mean, we, we read about uh, when um, Nebuchadnezzar or others sent, uh, they, they would often, a, a lot of times these ambassadors, at least in the sense that you're doing, is they're generals and there's an army okay. behind them. Let's go so back to, I, def- I guess let's go back to not, definition. Because I, well, maybe, sure, maybe I'm, not, I'm, I'm yeah, willing to admit that I'm misunderstanding. You said that Christ's kingdom um, is not on earth. It is in heaven. So to what it's a extent? heavenly kingdom. Okay. Um, okay. But you said it's not so. So define what you mean by that, um, because as far as I can tell by reading my Bible, this authority, this rulership, this kingdom extends to Earth. Because if not, how could we? How could we say, um, "Do homage to the Son that He may not that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is soon to be kindled." Like if if Christ's kingdom does not extend to earth help me understand i guess i need you to define what that means extend i I need you to define well you're saying it's only a heavenly kingdom okay how is it how is it tell me what you mean by that we'll go back to your that was your statement initially Uh, let's go back to what do you mean by it's only how is it excluded from earth Again, I never use the term that it's excluded from earth. Well, you said, well, you said it's it only a, heavenly. By definition, only heavenly means it's not something else. So I assume we're, we're, we're keeping the realms no, it, defined to kingdom, heaven and earth. His kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, which means that I do not think that America or the Holy Roman Empire or Israel or any of these other kingdoms are the kingdom of God on earth. Well, I didn't hear any of us arguing for that. I believe that the people of God those who have believed upon the Christ and become members of the household of God, members of the church, are ambassadors of that kingdom. So in what way does his kingdom extend to earth? It's in us. That's how I would say it extends to earth. How could it be that we can declare to kings that they ought to do homage to the son? Because his ambassadors are here. But that doesn't mean that his kingdom is here in the sense of what it will be like when the king returns in Revelation 19. So when you guys say that you think that his kingdom is here, and I mean, Eric, you said in a previous video that there are ways of interpreting Isaiah 2 as being consistent with the church age, that to me is the part where I go, I don't think anybody, unless they already start with that hermeneutic, could possibly get to the place where we look at the news and say, look, Israel's at war with Hamas. And then we read Isaiah 2, and we go, that's consistent with the church age, when Israel will never again learn war. And they will bang their, uh, their, their spears into plowshares. Um, that, to me, is not consistent with any age we have ever seen. Uh, the kingdom of God has always been reigning over all the kingdoms of the earth, but it is a heavenly kingdom. The authority is there, but the rebellion is still on earth, and that rebellion will not be fixed until we get to Revelation chapter 21. And that's when we will usher in this uh, ever and everlasting state of peace when the kingdom comes to earth, when that heavenly Jerusalem comes to earth, the new heavens and the new earth. We come to that place. 
So in what sense does the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God extend to earth now? Uh, in the ambassadors. That's where that's where it is. That's how I would answer your question. So I guess I, guess I, I, would I need only, to know if you think differently. Yeah. I, I, um, I would say that his kingdom extends to everywhere he has authority. If if I have a if I am a king, my kingdom isn't only where I happen to be sitting. My throne happens to be where I'm sitting, but my kingdom extends to all that territory under, over which I have authority. Um, that is, I, th I think you'd say the definition of a kingdom. Um, and so he has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now. I I made no argument that America or the Holy Roman Empire was the kingdom in and of itself. Neither of those or, you know, no comparable thing has been granted uh, that authority that is Christ alone. But my argument is his, his, he is king over all of which he has authority. Um, and that includes the earth. So again, that part I guess I don't I don't know that I disagree with, but in what sense then does his kingdom extend to the earth? Like we when we talk about these rebellious kingdoms on earth, um, I guess what is the I, I don't know why that's the major point of pushback when we both agree that these kingdoms are in complete rebellion against God. Someday they won't be when Christ returns, when he leaves his throne in heaven and comes to earth, which we both believe. Um I don't understand why that becomes the biggest point of contention. Um, of course, Christ's authority extends over all the kingdoms of the earth in that sense. Um, but to say that his kingdom is on earth in the midst of these other kingdoms that are largely, maybe even mostly, or in some places fully and exclusively in rebellion against him, I don't know what is gained by that view um, to see you know, to, to, to really push back on that, that point of distinction, I guess, because we, no, the, I, it seems like we end up in the same place. Um, maybe it is because of some of the other authors that you've read who maybe would deny that Christ has authority there. Um, but I mean, well, you asked me where the, I disagree and I told you, I, I said, sure. you know, for the vast majority, um, I agree. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was telling you, you asked me to tell you where, where I have my points of disagreement and sure. I gave you that. So that's, okay, that. no, I, and, and I, <laughs> And I, I appreciate that. I guess I just don't, I still don't really even understand what the, and, and maybe it's just because I'm slow this morning or something, but I don't understand what really the difference is. Because you and I would both agree that um, if we said, you know what, uh, I, I feel the call to go to uh, Iran and proclaim the authority of our Lord, and we go there, um, we realize that that's probably a one-way trip. Even if we buy a round-trip ticket, we're probably not going to use the return trip. And uh, if we go there, um, we're probably not going to get very far. And uh, they'll probably kill us right away because uh, it's pretty obvious that they want nothing to do with our king. Um, and, they, you know, it's illegal for us to proclaim this message and to try and proselytize. And so the rebellion is fierce. Um, and so in what sense, then that's why I'm asking, like, you, I, I think that, I mean, there is authority. I'm thankful for the Christians who live in Iran. I pray for our persecuted brethren um, who live in those places. Um, but when we talk about, like, the kingdom extends to this place. Um, I think what we ought to do is pray for the ambassadors who live in the midst of hostile ter territory. Um, and, you know, again, some of the other, and maybe this is just my, maybe I'm hearing you push back on other here, but I, when I hear people talk about, you know, the kingdom now and, and like God's authority is here now, 
Um, typically, and I know you're not this, but typically those are like the more of the name it and claim it type people because God's authority is here. God's kingdom is here. We need to walk in that authority now. Everything that we want is here now. His, his, you know, heaven touches earth. His kingdom is extended here. And they mean it in this very full sense. And so I guess maybe I would just express some caution to you that until you define it differently, when you say, well, God's kingdom extends here, I mean, what does that, I, don't, I guess I just don't even, I still don't really know what that means other than when you say his authority is over them, which we both agree on, and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with. And so when you say that that's your point of disagreement, I guess that's where I get hung up because it doesn't sound like we disagree on that. Sure. And, and no, I'm definitely not a name and claim it. You know, you know, that. I do. I know that. Um, yeah, I know yeah, that yeah, for you, sure. You know, um, uh, so yeah, my, the, the position that I'm holding is that, that we are not going in that that as in as ambassadors we are going in as ambassadors of a high king a king who i again fully fully agree um that um these kings are in rebellion but in order for them to be in rebellion they are in rebellion to a king who has authority over them already the reason that christ is has the authority to come and judge all those nations in the end and and put to put to death everyone who has rebelled against him is because his reign extends over them now if 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 what we have to mean by kingdom is um everything is perfectly aligned with the will of god that um i i guess let, let me say it this way i'm not saying everything that i haven't said i'm only saying what i have said that that my understanding is that as Christ's reign extends over every atom of the universe, he is king over every atom of the universe, and therefore his kingdom extends to all those places as well. So um now I want to bring Eric in. Uh please like you. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> yeah. Like you, I'm not saying what I'm not saying. And so when I say that that Everything you just said about us as ambassadors going and, and having the authority to declare this to people, uh, of course, I agree with that. Um, and so that's why I get like, confused when you say, well, this is your biggest area of disagreement. It still seems to me that the disagreement is, and you can let me know if you think this is wrong, or Eric, if you're hearing something different, again, we'd like to hear your, your thoughts as well. Um, but you know, ultimately, the eschatological views that we have, um, when I say that I don't think the kingdom of God currently extends to earth i'm talking about like there's a time coming when isaiah 2 will be obviously actually fulfilled not some theory not some ideal not some idea but actually like that will actually be the case and that's only when christ returns uh, it seems to me that even the conversations we were having before um of thinking that our authority is over this that then maybe we're supposed to wage war or we're supposed to enforce these things or we're supposed to establish this visible kingdom on earth for Christ to return to. Um, and I, I think those views are completely contrary to what scripture teaches. And so um, the, the agreement that we have on everything you said, you're stating as disagreement. And I, that's where I'm getting hung up. I agree with you on all of those aspects. Um, but when the kingdom of God comes to earth uh, and extends to earth, like the imagery that I see in Revelation 
20, um, I have a real hard time interpreting that as happening now, which again, if I understand your guys' amillennial view, you guys are overlapping those things and saying those things are now. That's where I think it gets fuzzy. That's where I think the disagreement actually is because you and I don't disagree that currently now as ambassadors for Christ, we have the authority to tell everybody, including national leaders of, of nations that, that even we're not citizens of, um, that they ought to repent and believe the gospel and stop persecuting Christ's people and, uh, and live in the reality that there is a God in heaven and that, that Christ is Lord. Like we all, we agree on all those aspects. So Eric, are you, um, are you hearing like, again, maybe I'm just uh, not communicating clearly. Uh, are you hearing the same things or does it sound like we are agreeing on that aspect? I guess let's bring you in and, and see if you've got, or if you've got something else uh, for us to chase down a, a different bunny trail, I suppose that's uh, all that's on the table. As I listened to you guys, it seemed to me like you guys were, were talking past each other a lot. And mm -hmm. I think there was a lot more agreement uh, than you both realized. And I think that hopefully I can help to clarify some things because I think if we clarify these things, uh, I think we're going to realize that we're in a lot more agreement than, um, than what you think now. So I'll just uh, give you my two cents on this. And I want to start in the Old Testament um, and work my way to the New. And uh, I realize that there's so many texts. And Joe, you're right when you said the kingdom is mentioned all throughout Scripture from beginning to end. If we use all the texts in this uh, episode, this episode would be hours and hours and hours long. There's no, there's no way we could do that. So I just want to just use a few texts, and I want to clarify some things that Greg said, because I think, um, I think Greg is correct that in one sense the kingdom does exist on earth. Um, but Joe, you're all, you are correct when you say that the kingdom is not yet. Uh, so I think you're both right. Um, it just... It's just a matter of understanding in what sense the kingdom is here now and in what sense it's going to come to earth later. In, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a prophetic dream in which he saw a statue made of these different materials. You guys know what I'm talking about. The different materials represented different kingdoms that would arise in the future. And in Daniel 2.33, it, it describes a kingdom that's represented by legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And I believe these should be understood as a single kingdom for a few reasons. Uh, the second and third kingdoms also consist of multiple parts, breasts and, and arms, belly and thighs. And in addition, the legs and feet are made, made up of the same element, which is iron. And you'll, I know, you'll see where I'm going with this in just a minute. Also, the feet are said to be the fourth kingdom, and that's mentioned in Daniel 2, 40 through 43. So if the legs are a separate kingdom, then the feet would be the fifth kingdom rather than the fourth. So these, this has to be talking about the same kingdom. Daniel 2, 33 is describing a single kingdom that must be the Roman Empire of history, not a future kingdom. I, I don't think you can you can make a good case that that this is not the Roman Empire of history. Now, what's my point with this? Well, in Daniel 2.44, the prophecy goes on to say that in the days of the Roman Empire, uh, the historical Roman Empire, God would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Now, if you fast forward to the first century when Rome was ruling the world, uh, you find that Jesus began his ministry at that time. And his message was this, 
the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand or has come near, repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1.15. Now, I understand Jesus to mean that Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled, or, be, or actually, to be really precise about it, it, it began to be fulfilled. Because remember, the kingdom was set up and the kingdom would spread throughout the world. It was a process. Uh, so this obviously was not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And in Luke 17, 20 and 21, it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he, Jesus, answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or some translations say, is within you. Um, now, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God was in their midst at that time. Now, there's a few ways to, to look at that, but if you look at, for example, um, Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus Jesus just got done casting a demon out of a man, and uh, in verse 28 of Matthew 12, he says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I take that to mean that uh, the kingdom of God, as it exists on the earth, is basically the uh, the sphere in which Christ's uh, authority and power is being exercised. That's that's how I understand the kingdom of God on earth. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the other parts of this because there's a lot more to it than that. But um, but it, it is it is true according to Daniel, according to numerous New Testament texts, that there, there is a sense in which the kingdom of God does exist. Uh, on the earth. Christ said it existed in their midst. It was in their midst at that time. And this is consistent with other New Testament texts. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So Paul seemed to say that he, at that time, was in the kingdom of God. in Revelation 1.6, the Apostle John wrote, And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So again, John spoke as if the kingdom was present in his own day, uh, and in some sense uh, on the earth. Now, having said all that, and this is where I want to try and bridge the gap. Um, having said all that, I want to mention that, uh, there, uh, and I'll call it, uh, there's an already but not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. In one sense, the kingdom is present on the earth. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 seems to think, make that clear. Uh, there's, there's numerous other texts, um, even in, I think it's in Luke 16, where Jesus is talking about how the, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were not entering the kingdom of God because they rejected Christ. But yet the sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, they were entering the kingdom, not, not at death, but they were entering the kingdom by believing the gospel. So there, there is a sense in which the kingdom does exist now uh, on the earth. Um, uh, so that, that is true. But in another sense, we are still waiting for the kingdom. The kingdom has not yet uh, fully come on the earth. 
Second Peter 1.11 says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And if you read the context, Peter's saying, if you are growing in, in holiness, if you're growing in Christian virtue, then you will, when you die, you will be welcomed uh, into the kingdom of Christ. Um, so uh, we could say, for lack of a better word, that the headquarters of the kingdom are in heaven. Uh, Christ is reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven right now. Uh, that's that is the uh, just again the, the headquarters the of the locu- kingdom. The locus, the, the, the yes, the physical yeah. place which it, yeah. it exists. Now in Revelation eleven fifteen, also it says, "Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever." So um, these texts, and there's so many, again, we don't have time to go over all of them, but these texts make it sound as if Christ's kingdom is, is yet to come. So this, this is how I understand it. And I think you guys, uh, as I heard you talk, I think you guys were agreeing more than you realized. So the kingdom of God exists on the earth in the sense that uh, on earth, there is a, uh, I'll call it a, a sphere in which um, Christ's power and authority is being exercised. And that's, that is, uh, we could say that's the church. Um, the church is um, the, the kingdom of God on the earth. And this is consistent with Jesus' parables, where Jesus, for example, said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's, it starts off very, it's, it's, it's a small, the smallest seed the Jews used. Um, and it, but it grows into a big tree. And I understand that to mean that Christ set up the kingdom on, on the earth in a sense. And that kingdom, it began very small. It began with Jesus and, and his apostles and some of his other followers, but it would grow very large and it would, you know, it would spread throughout the earth. That's consistent with the prophecy in Daniel chapter two. So if we understand the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God on earth to simply be the sphere in which Christ's power and authority is being exercised. That's not inconsistent with the idea that there is still another kingdom on earth, the kingdom of darkness, in which Satan's authority and power is being exercised. These kingdoms can coexist on the earth and not uh, not contradict the idea that Christ's kingdom exists on the earth. But I believe that in, in the future, when Christ returns, the kingdom will, will come fully on the earth. Christ's kingdom will completely engulf the earth, and it will, it will completely fulfill the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, in which the kingdom spreads throughout the earth. Right now, Christ has not put all of his enemies under his feet. But in the future, when he returns, this is how I understand 1 Corinthians 15 and other texts, when Christ returns, at that time, he will put all of his enemies under his feet. All men will be in subjection to him, and he will rule um, literally over every part of the earth, over every person in the earth. And um, his kingdom will be fully established, and, and it will take a physical form, not just, not simply a spiritual form like it is now. So I, as I listen to you guys talk, I think you guys more or less were... We're saying the same things. I think it was maybe just the way that 
uh, that it was some of the things were being described that, that caused you to talk past each other a bit. Well, Greg, as you hear Eric explain that, do you have pushback on what he just described? Uh, I mean, there are, there are ways that I would express. And again, it, it may very well just be coming down to, to how we're expressing things. Um, I don't, I don't believe at the end of the day, uh, we have any major disagreements, but again, um, yeah, you, I do think that Eric's right, that we did seemingly we're, we're talking past each other. Cause again, I, I, well, I, agree with I that. heard you yeah. saying that you disagreed and then you'd say something that I agree with. Um, and it sounds to me that even as just as Eric was, cause I, you know, I, in my articles, I use a lot of that same already not yet language. Um, and you know, when I talk about the kingdom extending to earth, my discussion um, is that it's it's in his people. So as people believe the gospel, yes, we are actually transferred from the kingdom and domain of darkness, which is here on earth, into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is in heaven, a coming kingdom, um, that there is a time when it will be established fully. I just want to ask, because Eric said that, uh, and Eric, you tell me if I'm not defining uh, if I'm adding words or leaving out words, that you said that the kingdom of earth on or the kingdom of God on earth presently uh, in that already sense is a spiritual kingdom that extends where people are in submission to Christ. So you said something like that. Can you say your definition one more time? The kingdom of God on earth is the sphere in which Christ's power and authority is being exercised. And of course that would be only exercised um, among believers. Sure. And so, so the, that the seems like that was the, in the church. Right. So that seems like, I, again, I feel like what I was describing fits very well with that. That's the part that I thought, unless I was misunderstanding you, Greg, that you were saying, no, Christ's authority extends even beyond the church and it extends even where his rule is completely um, being against and that the church has the uh, authority to go to those places and, and tell them that they need to repent, which of course we agree with that part, but it sounded like I guess this is, it seemed like that's this where is, the real uh, pushback was. This is one. Th- this is one thing that, um, and Greg, I, I, I do. I agree with both of you because I think you both were more or less saying the same thing. There's one thing you said, maybe just, maybe if you could clarify this. But there's one thing you said that that I don't know that I would have said it the same way. You said that when believers go to unbelievers and or, or let's just say a nation for just to make it easier. When a believer goes to another nation and declares that, you know, Christ is king and they need to repent, you said the nation was a vassal nation of God. And I I would be uncomfortable using that language. As a matter of fact, the, the vassal language, when it's used in the New Testament, actually refers to uh, believers, not unbelievers. In, in Luke 14, where Jesus talks about he uses the vassal analogy. That that actually applies to believers, not unbelievers. He says, if before you become a disciple, you need to first sit down and figure out, do I want to go against this king, who is far more powerful than me? And if I if I if I feel I can't go against him, then what I do is I submit to him, and I am the vassal uh, as a believer. Uh, so that's. That that's how I understand the vassal language in the New Testament. I think I I think I know what you probably meant, but I I I don't think I would have used that vassal language and applied it to unbelieving nations. 
It's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I want to recognize that that cr- the there is no nation here on earth that is the kingdom of God that that exercises the uh, the authority of Christ. That there's no nation that speaks on behalf of Christ. It's not at all what I'm saying. Um, I am simply trying to recognize the reality that as Christ's authority extends to the end of this universe, there is a sense in which his kingdom extends to the end of this universe. Um, I agree that the the kingdom is manifested, is displayed, is is put uh is put on show it by the church. Um but i i cannot separate where his authority is his kingdom extends over it now again i i'm not arguing that it's manifested in the kingdom of, of iran or china or even the united states or or anywhere else um manifested in the church um now when i say vassal i simply am trying to recognize that again every atom falls under the authority of it is subordinate to it answers to um there is there's nothing there's no living being that that isn't under there's nothing that's not under the authority of christ therefore it's a vassal of is is simply what i meant and i think and i assume that's what you meant and and obviously you're right because christ said i have authority over everything over you know in heaven and on earth so you're absolutely right there's no there's nothing that is out that's not underneath the authority of Christ in the entire universe. So, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think I I agree with you on that. I think and obviously Joe does too. I just I think it was the to me I think it was the vassal um analogy that that kind of that By vassal I I mean some that. again, something that, something that owes glory to, something that owes allegiance to, something that owes submission to uh, that that's that's what i mean by vassal true yeah but a, a vassal though is really in a sense it's a, a nation that's already been conquered by another nation and so i i would say that that uh you know like there's no you know there's no nation yet that's been conquered by um by the kingdom of of god the kingdom of heaven but but I know what you meant. Yeah, if, think- if we're talking about and I and I'm not trying to speak about um, in the sense that Crusades sought to to conquer for right Christ is the conquering king the the earth is his footstool. Um, where would you would you say that that I mean those Crusades and stuff that was an express disobedience to what Christ had said? Because I I that's what I would say. I think that those yeah, are yeah. those 99%, are ninety nine percent of ninety nine of percent of what what happened in the Crusades. As far as I understand church history, and and I know that there are people out there that are going to disagree with that. Um, but as far as church history that I've read and I've understood and I've digested, it, it was an absolute travesty, sinful from especially the Second Crusades, right? Um, absolutely ridiculous. Where you had christians fighting christians because they were paid to go do that um or catholics fighting catholics <laughs> we can do, we can argue how how christian the, the roman catholic church was at that point 
Um, but no, I, again, not arguing for that in any way, shape or form, simply arguing from the authority, the kingship of Christ that does extend to every molecule of creation. So I'll express my agreement that, of course, Christ's sovereignty is over all. And that's why, again, I was, I'm just, I still am slightly confused that that's where the, the disagreement is, because I, I don't know if that's what you hear me saying. So just as if I can be as clear as possible, we are in full agreement that Christ has authority over everything. Everything glad you by him, through him, <laughs> for him. My question, I guess, then would be, because we we're talking about what does this mean for his kingdom to extend to earth, if we all agree that the church is in some sense ambassadors for Christ, and, you know, again, I'll look into what you were saying. Maybe I am misunderstanding that, that, uh, that, that nomenclature and that, that terminology. Um, but the idea uh, that we would be taught by Christ to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is to heaven, is in heaven, that we're praying for his kingdom to extend to earth in some different kind of a way than it currently does. Some so manifest I, way. Right. So I guess then that's maybe what, uh, in some sense, um, where maybe the, the real talking past each other is, because you do agree that there is some future sense in which the kingdom will come to earth in a way that it is not on earth now yes or no sure uh, you know i i think about i mean i i'm just coming up with this analogy as we speak um you, you know the the current king of england is the is the king of I don't, I don't know i don't remember i don't know now what what uh what the british empire holds we'll but we'll but stick are, with you on the analogy regardless of the uh, particulars of appreciate the, uh, it so so there is a there is a sense in which the kingdom of of britain extends to certain uh certain territories that are not connected um, but if the king showed up there the kingdom would be manifest in a different way than it currently is and regardless of whether or not those those um those territories are in perfect agreement, perfect alignment, perfect submission to the kingdom does extend over them. Uh, and, and that's where I would draw the, de the, the distinction. If, if, if an ambassador of the king showed up to that foreign Island or whatever it happens to be um, and says, Hey, you're in rebellion, repent, um, be submissive. You know, that would be the ambassadorship that I see us having um, by the authority. They would by Sorry, I, no, okay. I was just saying, but you know, when it when it comes to us, um, because Christ is the titular king of I of China, the land that it, that that currently identifies itself as China, we have the authority, we have the responsibility to go and declare to each each person in that nation that that Christ is king. Bow the knee, repent, believe lest the son be angry. Don't you think, though, in that, in that regard, keeping with the king of England, right, uh, that if he showed up and they would all be, oh, okay, here, the king is here, um, wouldn't they respond that way to his ambassador or to his delegate or to, to whoever he sends if they're actually in submission to him? Because, um, you know, what we, some of the parables that we see, um, you know, the king entrusted this vineyard to, the, to these tenants and he sends delegations to them, and they keep killing these delegates. And then he says, I'll send my son, I'll respect my son, and they kill even, kill even the son. 
Um, so they're, they're in complete rebellion against. Um, and so when I think about the kingdom extending to earth, at least when, when you ask me that question, and, and Eric, I, again, I think your language is very helpful, and I'm, I, I think we are all, all in agreement, and I, I just, again, I'm bringing it just to make sure that, I, that we are. Um, in some sense, of course, the church is here. We do have the authority to speak, but most likely um, the world will still continue to treat his ambassadors in the way that um, they treated uh, Christ himself. That well, that biblical example is a perfect example of what I'm saying, though, right? Um, the, the, the landowner had authority over, over that over that vineyard right um he he was the the sovereign over it so he sent ambassadors and they killed the ambassadors then he sent his son they killed so it it truly is so i'm not the, denying the perfect example part. of what i'm saying I, I, and, and, and I, I guess as you talk more i don't hear you denying yeah. it but um but i feel but, like i guess that's the part that it seems that as you know the fact that the world is still in rebellion against our king that the kingdom of darkness is still here on earth that I do believe the nations are still deceived. The church has not expanded. Christ has not returned. Uh, the kingdom has not come to earth uh, in the in the fullest sense. Certainly, we would all agree, at least in the Revelation twenty one twenty two sense, at the very least, it hasn't come like that. I don't um, agree that I, I'm not stating this that it's come in its fullest sense. Right. So then, that's, when that seems like, I don't want you to hear me saying, well, but there's still a much greater extent to which. The, the kingdom can come because when I hear you saying it, it's like, well, there, there is no greater extent. His authority is already everywhere and he's already overall and he has all authority. He couldn't get more authority. He couldn't have more. And, and I, I, in a qualified sense, yes, Jesus couldn't have more authority. All and authority. And I guess I want to, I am stressing, um, not necessarily, not necessarily in reaction to what you said. Um, but I do want to stress that qualitative, um, sense sure so there's a there is no more authority yeah Yeah, absolutely there's a future time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father we're not every knee should bow now agreed so but they aren't and so that's i guess where i'm saying is that i agree with you that christ's authority is over all the kingdoms of the earth um but there's a a much greater extent in the future when that kingdom fully comes to earth that um all of Christ's enemies will be put under his feet. And then it's a, it's qualitatively different um, that that is still, these are still future expectations that we have. And I don't think getting back to our last discussion from Christian nationalism, and I would distinguish myself particularly from my post post-millennial friends, that it becomes our responsibility in any way to establish, like to establish that visible, um, kingdom fully on earth for christ to return afterwards again that's how i understand post-millennialism that's where we end up with these terrible historical atrocities thinking that it's our job to spread christianity by force if necessary because we have that authority to put people to death i I just i think that that is very dangerous and and so when i push back against those other things i'm not saying that christ's authority doesn't reign but i don't have that authority to wage war on earth my my weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. And again, it gets back to prayer, service, love, and the proclamation of the gospel, which is a fuller declaration. Um, you know, like going back to that, I t- we talked about, you know, this isn't necessarily a new aspect for me, but I, I talked about in, in my book, uh, Gatecrashers, that the, the, go- the declaration of the gospel is not just a religious claim. It is a political claim. It is a claim that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the king. And so 
you know, our king, um, we must submit to him. And if our king tells us to do something, um, we must do it, which includes going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel to all of creation. And so, um, again, I think, again, the longer we talk, it seems like we agree on all those points. And, and I, um, you know, I don't want you to hear me disagreeing with the parts that it sounded like, at least at the beginning of our conversation, it's, it sounded like you heard me like denying. I wasn't denying those aspects. And I'm thankful that, you know, your view at least uh, allows for the reality that there is a future fuller realization of this kingdom of God in which that authority is, I'll use your term, more fully manifested on earth, um, because that will be much more glorious than our present state for sure. Yeah, I guess where I would where I would want to defend not everything a post mill has ever done, um, but where I would want to defend post mill um are, are those that hold to that that position is their desire to establish um physical institutions that that are also about um about extending the kingdom you know, schools and colleges and the builders. It is my observation in the present day, those who are building tend to be post mill um, or have post mill leanings. Um, I guess I don't view that as a particularly, um, you know, post mill characteristic, but uh, um, I guess maybe I haven't. <laughs> looked into that. Um, sure seems like, you know, my friend who I was talking about, he, he's not a post mill guy and he's trying to build a, a school of, uh, uh, ministry and has built, uh, participated in lots of building projects and orphanages and, and schools and other places and things like that. And, um, not as far as I know, not post mill in any sense of the term. So, um, I don't seem that as, I do see that as more universal Christian characteristic, but, uh, you know, Maybe I have to look into that. I don't know on people's bios if they have their eschatological views. I'll look, uh, look into that and see. So, Eric, it looks like we lost you for a bit there. Um, uh, uh, now we have two have you of back. you. <laughs> yeah, there's two of you now. I don't know what's going on. Well, you're blessed then. <laughs> Double, doubly blessed. It's going to use a different word, but yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, we don't have to belabor the point. I mean, maybe, you know, as, as at this point, um, I, I did have maybe one other um question that I could ask just that's related to our previous conversations, but you guys have anything else related to the kingdom? Cause there, Eric, you mentioned it. I mean, there's, there are so many verses on here. We, we've hit on a few of them. There's a lot more. Um, certainly there are aspects that we could, um, you know, dive into. And so I just want to give you guys the opportunity. Is there anything that you were hoping we would get to that, uh, that, um, uh, that we haven't discussed yet? I just want to say one thing about um, the idea that, you know, we're still waiting for the kingdom. Um, and because we look at the world and we see that the world is not, uh, it's certainly not, uh, you know, fully Christian by, by any means. Uh, there are Christians in the world and, and even many, but there's still, um, there's still the kingdom of darkness reigning in the world. Um, I, I don't think that's at all inconsistent with the idea that the kingdom is, in a sense, on the earth, because, uh, for example, in Acts 26, um, starting at 16, uh, he says, But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, 
not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. And Paul is sharing his testimony here. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So Paul says that his uh, his commission um, as an apostle involved going and sharing the gospel with people so that they could be brought into the uh, dominion of God, from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God. So it seems like in the New Testament, there's the sense in which, yes, there is the kingdom of God on the earth, but there's also the kingdom of Satan. And these two kingdoms are in opposition to each other on the earth. And um, we we pull people out of the kingdom of Satan by sharing the gospel with them. If they, if they accept the gospel, then they go from one kingdom to the other. Um, so that's, that's how I say, I, 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 because, because Christ's kingdom has not fully come yet. Um, I, I don't see that as, as being in conflict with the idea that Christ's kingdom is in a, in a sense here. Um, and also uh, in, we talked about, you know the kingdom and and the kingdom being basically where Christ's authority is being exercised. But, you know, there's another aspect of the kingdom that's mentioned in the New Testament, and it's the um, the kingdom life that the believer has. So, for example, in Romans fourteen seventeen, it says, "For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit." It sounds like what Paul's saying there is that the the way that you know one of the ways that you know that you are in the kingdom of God here and now is that you have a certain quality of life, and that quality of life uh, involves uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the holy spirit if 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 you're enjoying those blessings, then you're living the kingdom life right now uh, you're living your best life now. Uh, <laughs> that was a little joke. Um, that was a little joke, but, uh, but I think, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, the kingdom is not simply Christ exercising his authority, although it absolutely is that too, but it's, it's a quality of life that comes from being in unity with Christ and, uh, having the Holy Spirit and experiencing the blessings that, are accompanied by um, by being in the spirit and living in the spirit each day. Can I ask a Can I ask a question that I, I think is related? Um, and maybe if it's not related, you could tell me to be quiet. Um, since I have two professional theologians on the line, and we're discussing this Ephesians two, uh, uh, specifically verse six. I knew I, it I, again. You, you, not only are you a I already knew professional it. theologian, you are also a mind reader, which is correct. Even more, work. Look, look at miracles. Best life now, Eric. You're giving us, <laughs> you're giving us everything. Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> so, and again, maybe this doesn't connect, uh, but this aorist past tense, um, he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, this is a 
again the seated there is a is a past tense us assumingly the people he not only paul but the people he's talking to does this does this connect at all does this membership into the kingdom seated us where christ is seated um the any connection joe or or eric since you knew i was going to say that I, I, I'm not surprised by that language, and I think it's, it's consistent with the New Testament. Um, the Bible says really two things. It says that, you know, we're waiting to reign with Christ in the future. And actually, that's one of the, that's one of the um, rewards, I think, for, you know, our faithfulness now is that we're going to be ruling with him in his future kingdom on earth. But that verse uh, seems to teach that, yeah, there there is also um, a sense in which we're uh, we are ruling with Christ now, not the, not the same way that we will in the future. Um, obviously, that's different, but we are we're helping to um, expand His kingdom. We're helping to uh, really we're, we're also helping to govern in in His kingdom. I mean, the, there's different offices in the church, and I guess you could say that that Christians by serving these offices are helping to govern. Uh, the church. There's a hierarchy in the church. There's apostles. There's prophets. There's um, pastors and teachers, evangelists, other offices. So there's a sense in which we're we are helping to govern uh, the church, helping to govern the kingdom of God on the earth, and manage it in the in a way that is um, that's appropriate and that's pleasing to the King, to, to Christ Himself. So I guess that's that's one way to look at it. I'm not sure if Joe would look at that differently. The only pro- well, go ahead, Joe. No, no, no. Go ahead. Greg. I would say the only. I, I don't disagree with what you just said. The only weakness to that makes it sound like um, those who are seated are pastors, elders, and and not not the you know 50, every believer ten, 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 ten year old kids who who are also seated right. Uh, so again, nit nitpicking there. To be sure. Um, so, you know, my, my perspective on this, I don't think that I would be necessarily in disagreement, especially with what you just said at the end there, Eric and Greg, that this is discussing a spiritual reality about our union with Christ, that every believer that has been brought out of the kingdom of darkness has been joined with him. And there is this amazing declaration that we're no longer in Adam we're in Christ. We're no longer in the kingdom and domain of darkness. We are in the, the the dominion of His beloved Son. And in fact, not only have we been forgiven, but we've we've actually been seated with Him. I mean, this is these are these are incredible benefits, incredible uh, blessings. I would point out that um, consistent with everything that I said before, it says it's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And so again, it doesn't say in the earthly places. If we go back even to Ephesians one. It's a similar thing. Uh, that um, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ. And so again, we have this past tense. A lot of times Christians are looking for future blessings, but we've already been blessed with everything that we could have uh, in Christ. It, it already belongs to us in some sense. We know that it's ours. Um, it's a spiritual blessing with every spiritual blessing, not every material blessing. And it is in the heavenly places. It's not in the earthly places. I think so many times because we we tend to think um, 
and I know you were making a joke, but like this best life now, it's not our best life now. This is not our home. This is not, this is not our kingdom. This is not our place. This is, I'm an alien and a stranger here. I'm a steward of what God has entrusted to me. Um, but there is a land um, that I look forward to receiving. There is a kingdom, an unshakable kingdom that is coming that I look forward to. And it's not here. Um, it'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. This one is going to be uh, burned up and destroyed. And so um, I, I do think it's probably related. I don't think it's inconsistent with anything that I said before that, you know, we, we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Um, but I don't know that that, you know, and you agree, I don't know that's what that not would change about, from what I that's, that's not talking about some future state. It's not talking about those who have already departed from their mortal bodies. This, this is talking about like you, Joe, right now are seated in the heavenly places. In some sense, with, with, but I'm also seated here in my desk. Well, the, uh, in, in, in and the that goes to places. my, that goes to my, that you just made my point. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that it is a re a spiritual reality, not, and I would even argue a, a superior reality than the fact that, that you are physically still here. Uh, I would maintain both realities and there is a time not, when not, those realities will no longer be separate but we'll not maintain i'm not talk. not maintaining either of sure. those realities so i guess i don't know what in that's why again my link my and i i never hear it from you but from others who go no i mean he, here it is it's heaven's right here and so i can i can manifest the kingdom right now um i don't i don't find that to be accurate um my blessings are in the heavenly places and sometimes the blessings that i find here in the earthly places are the things that Jesus talked about um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Oh, that's my earthly blessing, is that I get to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness, that I live hey, in brother, the midst of the dominion Your of internet Satan. broke up. Your internet just broke up, and I missed what you said there. Sure. So um, much of the, quote-unquote, earthly blessings often that we talk about is that we, you know, the, the apostles, uh, they, they found themselves... Um, uh, they were rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name when they were publicly flogged for for proclaiming Christ. And so we live in the midst of a dominion of Satan. Again, we we've discussed in our eschatology video and otherwise. Um, I, I do I agree with you guys in some sense that the devil is bound in some way that you know he doesn't have the complete unfettered reign that he would. Um, I think Job is a good example. He always had to get permission from God to, to, to do something else. And he always did the fullness of what he was allowed to do. And if God let the devil really run fully free, um, everything would be much worse than it is. But the difference between, you know, I don't shuffle up the cards in Revelation. I just read it as, as it was inspired and, and, and given. And when Christ returns in Revelation 19, heaven comes to earth. And then the angel comes down from heaven in chapter 20 and binds Satan and throws him into the abyss. We see a qualitatively different reality that now the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. And so for me, that all becomes so much more consistent than trying to, you know, make these spiritual realities with even what you just said, superior realities. I, I don't think that it's superior. I think that they can, they're, and, I, and, you know, you said the same thing. They're, they're both true. We are here on earth. Um, we're in the midst of a, of a rebellious, you know, dominion. Um, 
And someday it won't be this way, but we do have authority from our King to proclaim the gospel. We all agree on that part. We do agree that people will come out of darkness into light, that that will continue to happen until Christ returns. Praise God. Um, but you know, I am, I, I'm not optimistic that the, uh, kingdom will be established here on earth. Um, and then Christ will return. I'm, I actually do believe that things will proceed from bad to worse. Um, that's not to say that there won't be light, um, where the church is, but, but eventually, um, you know, as I read revelation, um, it requires Christ to return because the world has, has really turned. Um, and you're mentioning prophecies from Daniel. Um, I would think that we all take the, the first part of Daniel's um, prophecies about the coming of Christ uh, and his week's prophecies, um, literally. Um, but then the last part of it, for me, is still literal. It's still an actual seven-year period. But for you guys, it becomes at least a, a, a much more, you know, 2,000 years and counting kind of a period. And for, for me, all those difficulties, like when we look at this verse or any others, I, I think that it fits very much better. Um, and again, this, is, this, this topic is so influenced by other conversations we've already had. And as so many of these doctrines are, like there's, there's other pieces that because we haven't agreed on who Israel is and because we haven't agreed on a view of eschatology and because we haven't viewed on what the binding of Satan means and because we haven't you know, agreed on those things, all of those other themes you know, are, are coming together for all of us, you know, I'm not saying it's just for you. It's for me too. It's for all of us as we're in this conversation. When we don't have agreement on all those things, it it really, I don't know. Sometimes it can make us think that the things we agree on, we don't actually agree on. And it sounds like we agree on probably about ninety to ninety five percent of this stuff. It's just in the the outworking of it. And um, again, the longer we talk, it seems like there's more again more agreement than disagreement. But those other issues still remain, of course. Uh, Eric, you were, you were going to say something. Well, I want to say something. one conclusion that I've come to is I need to talk longer because you get to throw in all these jabs. <laughs> like I don't shuffle the deck in Revelation. You, you throw in all these jabs, and by the time you've finished your your five minute monologue, it's like, oh, it's no point circling back and trying to <laughs> trying to shield that off. So I need to talk longer. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I just want <laughs> the mic's yours. Go ahead, Joe. Um. You had said something about Daniel 9, the 70 weeks prophecy, and you said, I, I just wanted you to clarify, you said something like we were doing what, so some, something about 2,000 years, or could you clarify what you, what you meant by that? Do you, do you think that the first part of those weeks, the first 69 of the 70 weeks, was fulfilled already in the coming of Christ in his first advent? No, I think all 70 weeks were fulfilled. You think all 70 weeks were already fulfilled? Yeah, because I think that the 490 years is literally 490 years. And if there's if there's a 2,000-year gap between the 69th and 70th week, then the 70th week would cease to be the 70th week. It would be a much a much greater week. So, no, I take I take Daniel 9, uh, what is it, 24 through 27, as being fulfilled completely um, by the first century, because that that's the most literal way to take it. And I think taking it any other way is inserting gaps or periods of time that that are just not in the text. If 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 it's if seventy weeks is, does not equal four hundred ninety years, uh, but they but it equals some other period of time, then it it ceases to make the point that it's trying to make, which is all of these things are fulfilled within a four hundred ninety year period. You don't see the, the, the discussion, and this is probably a, a topic for another time. It's getting probably too far off of, from the, the, the main, um, and I brought it up, so it's not, you know, I'm not 
blaming you for that. Um, but the language that parallels in Revelation that talks about the what is it, one thousand three hundred sixty days, and these you know the that's like a three and a half year period, and there's these things you, you cut think out that there for a second. In Revelation, it talks about the uh, like the one thousand three hundred sixty days, which I think is a three and a half year period. You don't you don't view that as some extension. Like you think are you you've mentioned having a partial preterist view, so you think that all that aspect was fulfilled in the first century, those aspects of revelation as well. Because most, again, I, I should say most interpreters that I talk to see a, a, a very strong parallel between the language of revelation and the language of Daniel. Um, and the, again, the calling up to the, the return of Christ, the second advent of Christ um, of being that final week. But you, you think that that was all fulfilled in the, in the first century. That's your. Well, I want to make it clear. My view on revelation is, is undecided. Um, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the partial preterist view. I think there are some good arguments for it. I don't think it's ironclad, um, but I'm, I'm sympathetic toward it, and I'm open to, uh, at least right now, I'm open to some of the, some of the suggestions that are made there. Sure. But I believe well, we could that, talk about that in a separate video. That's uh, again, sure. I, yeah, I, I, well, I just, I just want to make that clear to... because I, you know, I don't want people, you know, being misled about that. But um, as far as Daniel nine, I, I think. The, the prophecy begins by saying, from the issuing of the decree to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. Um, so there, there's a starting point. Until Messiah comes, there's 70 weeks. And so I understand the starting point to be the issuing of that decree to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple and all those things. I think that's the starting point. And I think, I think from that point until the end of the 70th week, I see, I see all that as being connected. I see the 70th week as actually following the 69th yeah. in, in chronological order. That was ultimately the question, is that we, we take that literally. Yes. All of us agree that that's a literal thing. Like he said that these, this amount of time, and it was actually this amount of time. It's actually one of the most amazing uh, prophecies in all of Scripture, is that the, the chronology is perfect and meticulous, and only God could do that. But then we see this parallel in Revelation, which again is using the same types of language. And that's the part that's like this, for me, literal, just like Daniel's was literal. But again, as, as we've discussed in different episodes, it seems, I guess I'm surprised to hear you saying that your position on Revelation is uh, unsettled because it seemed like you guys have a very settled view. And Greg, I'm not trying to take jabs. You have shared with me, um, uh, Maybe not in the camera, you know, you and I have had so many conversations. I can't remember everything that we say on camera and everything that we say off camera, but you've shared with me things that, um, you, you sent me a sermon recently where the guy was making the case that revelation 20 doesn't follow revelation 19. And he says, well, I can understand why people would think it does because it goes revelation 19 and then it's revelation 20, but it's not actually afterwards. It's actually before. And I mean, I'm not taking a jab. That's, that's shuffling the deck. That's saying it doesn't follow. It actually goes somewhere else. And you know, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying Revelation 20 does follow Revelation 19. And when we see Christ come to earth and when we see 1,360 days, it, it's not a symbol. It's, they're telling us, just like Daniel told us, it's, this is how long it's going to be. They're telling us how long it's going to be. And it's not a, a, an undefined period of time that just means a long time or a thousand years is an undefined period that, that's stretching on for now 2,000 years. It, it just means what it says. It's straightforward. And so when it says that we're seated with him in the heavenly place, I go, yeah, in the heavenly place, that is a spiritual reality. There's a truth to that. Um, and, and thank God we are 
united with Christ, we're seated with him. Um, but there's also a reality that he's going to come to earth. And when I talk about the extent of his kingdom, to what extent does the kingdom come to earth? I'm, I think we all agree there is just a much greater extent than, than what is coming now. And when I say that, I don't want to, I'm certainly not saying that his, his authority isn't still here, but there is a, there is a reality when heaven comes to earth that is much different than any of us sitting in our respective chairs right now saying, look, heaven's here on earth. Like, and that's like, like Isaiah two. I think that when he says Israel will no longer learn war, it means Israel will no longer learn war. And when we look at Israel currently at war, I go, I don't, I just don't know how you guys could possibly say that that's consistent with the present reality. Um, and when I said it before, you, you know, and again, you guys felt like I'm taking jabs. I'm not, I'm trying to, you know, when we sit in our studies and we read these various theologians, they all take jabs at everybody. Nobody can ever talk for themselves. So Greg, I'll give you all the time you want. You want to talk for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. You can have the time. I won't no, you, cut you off. So go you ahead. You my point. My, my point is <laughs> um, you have a, a pattern of speech where you'll say something. Like, and I get you're not like throwing punches. That's not what I mean. Um, but you've But you've moved on to the point where like it doesn't make sense for me to go back and try to answer that. Um, and so I, Joe, I know you don't mean to be throwing jabs. It's not exactly what I meant. Um, but, but yeah, just, it's the limitation of this, of this format. So can we're, I, can we're I say, always, hang on one second and then, then you yeah. can go. We're always like, I could stop you every time you're starting. It, just like, I'm sure you could stop me every time I'm starting. And sometimes we've done that. Eric and I did that to each other in one episode. I'm not sure how fruitful it was for most people, but you know, before you built your case, I wanted to interact with every, you know, every aspect. Um, so that, because when I've done the other way, where I just sit here quietly and let you guys build your case, where I disagree with almost every building block along the way, you're right. It doesn't make sense to go backwards. And so I don't know what the best format is for these things or these conversations. It's probably why most people don't have these conversations in the first place, but you can feel free to go back and interact with various points. Um, I'm, it doesn't hurt my feelings. You can also interrupt me anytime you want to. And that's fine too, because uh, you're not going to hurt my feelings. If you want to push back on something, uh, I want a buzzer, you know, I got this, like I got horn. a bell, I got a bell back here. Yeah, I can no, start I'm, ringing I'm the wanna, bell. I'm going to get an air horn. Yeah. Um, but you know, all of us have, you know, that these, all of these positions are incredibly nuanced. And so, you know, every single time we're, we're talking, um, that's the problem. Unless we sit down from Genesis one and read it together. Um, every time we're jumping in somewhere, there's so much uh, theological baggage. There's so much uh, that is not shared as far as our, our definitions go and everything else that we do end up talking past each other, thinking we're disagreeing when we're not disagreeing, thinking we're agreeing when we're not agreeing. Um, and, you know, there, there are like I, I've, I've wanted, Greg, one of the reasons why I haven't said this before is because I try to let you guys make your point, but it does. It seems like you're shuffling the deck every single time. And so, I, I, I mean, we've had these conversations. They've been going on for a long time. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw punches. This is how I see it. I, and because I love you guys and respect you guys, I know no other way other than just to tell you what I think, you know, and, and that includes, you know, I think you're doing something weird with the text. And you said it earlier about my view that there's no way you can get there unless you start with this hermeneutic. I disagree with that. I think that that's true of your view, or at least it's true of both of our views, I guess we could say. And I didn't take that as a jab when you said it. I don't know why sometimes it seems like a jab when I'm saying it, maybe because 
I'm meaner than you or something. I don't, I don't know. But oh, I don't. That's, that's, a, I, that's not true at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not. Uh, Eric, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Thank you for your patience. No problem. I want to shuffle the deck. Um, and I, I want to say a couple of things. Um, Daniel 9, really, just really, really briefly. Um, Joe, I don't know what, I mean, it sounds like you take Daniel 9, literally. Um, most. As you would do as well, right? Yes, I take Daniel yes. 9. I think it's a literal 490 years. I think it begins from the issuing of the decree to rebuild the temple, to fast forward to the first century. I think it, it I think 490 years is 490 years. I think the only, the only uh, place that we disagree and my mind was changed, a friend of mine wrote a book. I'll just plug it. Um, uh, I'll put a link to it as well. Um, but by factoring in the Jubilees, he, he actually has, uh, he's done a lot of great work on this prophecy it's like 492 years or 493 years or something like that. I, I, well, his, his work is fantastic and meticulous. And like I said, that's the only smallest disagreement that my mind has been changed. But yes, literal, literal, I'm with you 100%. Uh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good because uh, some dispensationalists will say there's, there's a, a, an enormous gap between the 69th and 70th week. And, and the clock stops at the 69th week and then it resumes thousands of years later. And uh, it, and then the 70th week begins. I mean, this is just unbearable um, to, to me. And now I, I realize that's the popular view these days. Um, not, not all dispensations hold it, or I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but I, I think that's a, that's talk about going beyond the text. That's going thousands of years beyond, beyond what the text says. The point that I was making, and I should have been much clearer when I made it, and I, I didn't want this to turn into a Daniel 9 conversation because that could be its own uh, very full conversation as well, um, is that when we read the book of Revelation, I think we all agree, apocalyptic literature, these symbols mean something. And the, the foundation for a lot of these uh, symbols is the Old Testament. And so there's a parallel between, um, you know, even the break that exists there. Uh, and then when Revelation picks up this language, I think John's doing that intentionally because he is making it a one week or a period of seven years. And he uses it. He breaks it up into two different periods of the 1300 and, 1360 days. Again, I should have looked that up. Is that the right number? Am I saying the wrong number? I don't even remember. 1,360 days. I, it's something close to that. Um, hmm. It's just annoying when you get the numbers wrong. Like I said, my brain barely even works anymore. Well, you're in the ballpark One, anyway. 1,260 days. I said 1,360 days. So that's, that's my bad. I was it's unforgivable. clearly incorrect on this, and I, I repent in dust and ashes. Um, okay. So, again, I think that this is very strongly paralleling that final week. And so while I hold to that 490-ish number, like I said, my, my, my friend did persuade me. I thought his, uh, his work was fantastic uh, in, in dealing with that as the best treatment of, of the Daniel 9 prophecy I've ever personally encountered. I, I really uh, enjoyed it. It's not to say I agreed with every single minor point, just like, you know, I enjoy my conversations with you guys. We all slightly disagree with each other, but there's a lot of value there. Um, I think that what I was meaning to articulate is that that's literal. That's an actual timeline. And, you know, some who didn't think the Messiah came, they'd have to do something different with that and say, that's a spiritual thing, or, you know, we don't know when that's fulfilled or whatever, because it's talking about the Messiah coming. It says the Messiah is going to come and, and all the and Jews it, were anticipating the Messiah to come because of that prophecy. They should have been, right? I mean, this is, that's, this is, it's the most oh, specific did. direct prophecy that declares that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so then, right. then, then John's using similar language um, for a, 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 a 
seven, one seven-year period, and he's, he's breaking it up. And my non-premillennial dispensationalist friends, again, they, they take it like this, just this spiritual number that doesn't really mean anything, and it could mean whatever, and 144,000 doesn't mean 144,000, 1,000 doesn't mean 1,000, this 1,260 doesn't really mean this, this days could be whatever. And, and again, to me, that becomes intolerable. We say, I don't know how you get there. Like Sometimes we look at these, you know, we talk about prophetic literature um, and where these symbols come from. There's a strong parallel that if that was literal, this seems like this should be literal. And, and so that's, that's all I'm saying is that when I, all of these things come together and unfortunately, even if we come to agreement on Daniel nine, because of all of these other, again, I'll use that term theological baggage because there's all this, all the things that we've even discussed before we talk about it, our minds aren't, you know, none of us are persuaded that, that we're fully wrong. The other person's fully right. Um, you know, maybe our, our, our view takes on a little bit of different nuance. Then we get into these other issues and it's like, even when we're talking about one thing, we're not, we're always talking about all of these things. All of these things are, are constantly participating in the conversation, um, sometimes without us even realizing it. And like I said, sometimes it causes us to hear disagreement when we actually agree. Sometimes it causes us to hear agreement when we actually disagree. And that's frustrating, but ultimately why conversations like this are, are important. So, um, you know, we're, we're probably maybe reaching the end of, of a fruitful discussion for this time as we could continue to go on and on. Um, I'll give you guys the last word on the kingdom if you'd like. I won't interrupt you, Greg. So if you want to go on for seven, eight, 10, 15, 20, 30 more minutes, you can do so. That's not my style. uh, uh, And um, uh, so I'll give you guys the last word before we uh, say goodbye on this one. Again, mostly if I'm hearing correctly at the end of it, it really does sound like we're close to 90 to 95% agreement. We look forward to a, a future coming of the kingdom in its fullness or manifestation of the kingdom in its fullness that does not mean that the kingdom is not in some sense manifested now, even in each of us and in all of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I think those are the big issues in which, again, I find no reason to have no, fe- you know, I still very easy for me to fellowship with you guys and to minister with you guys and to talk with you guys um, because I, I, I do so far see that we are in much more agreement than disagreement, even though people watching this might <laughs> Maybe think because of the the things that we talked about that the, the the disagreements are bigger than they actually are. But like I said, I'll give you guys the last word on it if you'd like. I I really don't have much more to add. I don't think. Um, oh, good. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, I, I almost only did a spit take that. on that one. I almost spit my coffee right on the right on my desk. I, wish you I, I only I only say that simply because. Um, I just want to, you're going to drone on for a while. So. No, no, I'm not. I, this is not going to take long. I just want to make a quick point about shuffling revelation. Hmm. Um, and then I'm going to, and then this is, this ties into my final thought. Um, so revelation chapter 11, uh, in the middle of the book, it talks, it says in verse 15, uh, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Uh, now, that sounds as if that's talking about the coming of Christ, the establishing of his kingdom on earth, and him reigning. Then, it, in chapter 12, it goes backwards, and it starts talking about things like the birth of Christ, and, um, you know, on and on and on. And then, it, and then in chapter 13, it, it, it talks about the future again. So. Um, 
I do see some shuffling going on in in Revelation. In Revelation 19, uh, this can be this has been interpreted in a few different ways. Um, some people think it's talking about the second coming, and it, it might be. Um, but it, then, if if it is talking about the second coming, according to the amillennial view, Revelation 20 does exactly what Revelation 12 did with Revelation 11. It backs up, and it begins talking about kind of like events from a panoramic view, uh, I've heard someone say. So I do believe that Revelation, uh, I guess depending on how you interpret these verses, it seems to me like there there is some, uh, I guess, shuffling, if you if you will. And this has led some people to believe that Revelation is cyclical. It's not laying out, you know, the, the beginning, and then it just goes chronologically all the way to the end. It doesn't seem to be doing that. It seems to be... Um, you know, going to an end and then starting over again from a, a previous uh, time in the uh, in the past. So I, I, you can call that shuffling. You can I don't know what yeah. else you'd call it, but I I do see that in Revelation there is reason to believe that there's there's a cycle that's being repeated, and there's going forward and then going backward again. So I I don't think that's inconsistent with the text, but I. Uh, I I am in the process of trying to come to a conclusion on the whole book of Revelation. I've come to a conclusion, I think, on some of the on some of the things. Like I've mentioned Revelation twenty, um, but and I've mentioned Revelation eleven today. I'm not certain on the whole book, and that's why I'm kind of in the process right now of trying to nail down how I interpret the entire book, and not just a couple chapters in the yeah, book. The- there's no doubt that we need to spend, and maybe it'd be a good a good conversation for us. But how how you know what are the, what are the hermeneutics of apocalyptic literature? Uh, because as you pointed out, um, I, I I don't like the term the book shuffles itself or that we're shuffling the cards. Um, I, I think that's an un. I don't think you mean it this way, but I just think it's. Um, I think it's an unfair way to say it. It, it adds a bias there. Um, but, you know, actually, Joe, you know that I, I had wrote half of a hermeneutics class, presented half a hermeneutics class, and um, been thinking about doing that for my next uh, Crown, and Quill, Qu- Crown and Quill project is actually videoing and, and, and producing an entire hermeneutics lesson. But that, I mean, really at the heart of many, many of our disagreements, for those listening, is how do we interpret the text? You know, J- Joe, um, I appreciate what you voiced is. Um, we, because of how Daniel, because there's talking about weeks and whatnot, and, and Revelation seems to be pointing back to Daniel 9, that we ought to treat Revelation exactly, the, the portions in Revelation that talk like that, we ought to treat exactly the way Daniel did, or, or as close to the way Daniel did as we could. Um, that is one hermeneutic. Um, another hermeneutic would be to say, um, we recognize that, that John's visions are pointing back to those things. Um, but you know, do we treat those slightly different because that is apocalyptic literature and, and is, is Daniel nine apocalyptic in nature? So, Again, it it all does come down to hermeneutics, and I'm not trying to argue that right now. Um, just pointing out the fact that there are different hermeneutics involved 
and there's not well there surely is a right way um but but settling on what that right way is is the difficulty at the bottom yep. of all these conversations yep and so you know even as i sit and listen to what you're saying as you read the book of revelation and you look at a particular chapter um that doesn't mean that and we can do that with every chapter that in every chapter our hermeneutic for the book of revelation doesn't say that we read one chapter and then the next chapter is a cycle or that we, we read one chapter and then we read another chapter and it's going back in front of it. We don't do that for chapter four to five, for example. We don't do that from chapter two to three, for example. It's very selective. And so then when I sit down and I read the book of Revelation and I read the entire book all the way through and it talks about things that clearly have happened in the past, like in Revelation 12, for example, when the woman Israel gives birth to the Messiah and the Messiah is caught up to his throne these are things that clearly to everybody were in the past because John's writing on the island of Patmos after the ascension of Christ. And so clearly he's writing about something in the past. And so, of course, then uh, everybody could always understand that this is at least taking us back in history to some particular point. But it is not obvious that when I read Revelation 19 and go to Revelation 20, that I should be resetting the thing again. And so yeah. the question there are obvious divisions and they aren't chapter marks. Or there are. Well, I don't want to say obvious. There are clear distinctions in the book of Revelation where there are start and stops. Um, I agree. And the problem and, is, and, is that when I read Revelation 19 and 20, the ones that are clear to me aren't clear to you. And the yeah. ones that are clear to you aren't clear to me. And again, that sermon that you sent me, I know not everybody's seen it. That's fine. Um, he talks about thrones and he's like, well, there's thrones. Well, every time there's thrones, it's in heaven. Well, that's just not accurate. Um, the devil's kingdom, as we talked about in this episode, has as its seat on earth and the throne of our king is in heaven. And so when in revelation 19, for where example, is that at? Where, where do you, where do you see you talk about seat? Throne? where, yeah, where, where do we get picture a biblical text, the seat of the throne of Satan? Where do you, I don't, I don't see, I don't recall that in the text. I mean, in revelation 12, uh, for example, he's caught up to his throne the woman flees, uh, flees into the wilderness. No, no, no. The uh, throne of Satan. You just talked about, you said the, 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 you talked about, you talked about thrones and then you said there, there are thrones on heaven or on earth. And that's where Satan dominion, dominion is at. You, you've made a jump there that I'm not sure I understand. Um, so let me look here. Sorry. Uh, this is gonna be last words. I, I'm well, not meaning to drag this on. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> he says, with, so, like we've got, uh, the, the imagery, um, how do you interpret the imagery of this dragon wearing diadems? What does that mean to you? Crowns of authority and power and, yeah. Okay. okay. So he has I'm crowns asking... of authority. And where is, uh, where is the devil in the book of Revelation? Which chapter are you specifically speaking I'm just about? talking, like, in general. Um, because in Revelation 13, 2, and the beast, which I saw like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his Joe, power I'm, and I'm his throne and great authority. There's the, there's the word, great, there's the throne. It's on earth. I, I think that this is on earth. This is the beast. The dragon has diadems, which is kingly uh, type of language. Revelation 13, his throne uh, is given to someone. Gave him his power and his throne and great authority. That's on earth, okay. I think. I don't think it's in heaven. So where is that at? Revelation 13. No, 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 no. I mean, it, you want to be literal, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
Okay. So I think this is in the no, future. No. Fair enough. As people are rescued out of the dominion of Satan, we're talking about on earth, right? So, so Satan will have the a, gospel. So Satan will have a physical in your opinion, Satan is going to have a physical I think he does throne. now. Oh, where is Okay, you, and you're not answering my question. It's on earth. Like I don't know where? how I, like I where in, Cali- in, in California. In California. Oh, okay. Thank you. In California. No, I mean, Greg, Greg, I could are- ask the same question to you. Where is it in heaven? Like, do you want me to put it on a map? His kingdom, the devil's kingdom, is on earth. John writes about it post-ascension, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So again, this gets back to the disagreement that we have. I don't believe that the devil is bound in the chain in the abyss right now. I understand. As we read through the book of Revelation, he is active on earth. But then in Revelation 19, Jesus comes down from heaven to earth to remove the the king, the the God of of earth, the God of this world who blinds people's eyes to the gospel, as Paul talks about. The one who all the earth lies in the power of the evil one. The one while we as ambassadors proclaim the gospel, people are rescued out of the domain of Satan. Then Revelation 20, the angel comes down from heaven and binds the devil and throws him into the abyss so that then the millennial kingdom can reign on earth. All of this language, heaven to earth, heaven to earth, earth to the abyss, like that all to me is just so straightforward and so consistent, and there's no reason to say, well, this is going back over here, and really, when in Revelation 12, when the devil is warring against the woman and doing all this stuff, that's really the same imagery as when he's bound in the chain in the abyss. Like that, Those images don't fit together in any way, shape, or form to me. And so the hermeneutic then becomes this powerful thing that somebody tells us we ought to switch these things around. And I would agree with you. There are clear markers. The clear markers are things when they say heaven and when they say earth. And I can show you in Revelation 13 too, where it says the word throne, that the devil is giving the beast his power and his throne. And that seems like that's on earth. So when someone tells me that every time we see thrones in the book of Revelation, it's always heaven, you're going to tell me that Revelation 13, 2, this is heaven? It isn't. So it's not in heaven. And what that guy said isn't true. And then that's not a clear marker that says that because we see thrones, that although the text says it's in, it's on earth, that it must be in heaven because we've got this magic trick in our hermeneutic that says we've got this symbol that even though it says it's on earth, it must be in heaven. No, I, it I don't know who you're talking about. But is he? Is it? Was he? And I'm just. This is just a question because I don't, I don't. I haven't heard the sermon. But is he talking about thrones that are for believers specifically? That those thrones are in heaven? No. Or is it's, he talking it, about all? Forget. Th- forget that sermon. It doesn't matter. Go back to the conversation that we had. With the concept with Mike about I mean, just eschatology. Yeah, I, I, I don't the even conversation know what you guys are really talking about uh, totally because the idea that these. We talked about Revelation 20 more in our eschatology video. And again, I didn't really get to express a lot of my points because (laughs) unlike what you said about me, Greg, I would let you guys do most of the talking. There were so many things that I wanted to address that I just You were outnumbered in that video too. Um, I just let it, just let it go. Um, But, you know, we probably should have an episode maybe just about the book of Revelation. Um, Well, let me study it first. I'll I'll, I'll study it first and then I will come. You'll be be blessed if you read it. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. it it explicitly says that for sure. Um, so I'm not going to say, uh, Greg or Eric, that I am fully settled on the book of revelation either. There are some complicated things in here. Um, but the, the, the hermeneutic that we bring to it, Greg, I'm, I'm agreeing with you is incredibly powerful. And I just don't believe that anybody, and I, I would give this encouragement to anybody who would be watching this video, sit down 
and read the book of Revelation from beginning to end. And just read it, because that's how most people heard it. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where most of our ideas of these things, when people say we're going to sit down and study the book of Revelation, they usually do it with a commentary or with notes in their Bible. And they're now just filling their minds with other things. Most people that are going to do it, have they, they're very uh, unaware of the Old Testament. And so, you know, yes, my hermeneutic, of course, it seems right to me. Um, your hermeneutic seems right to you. But if we're going to get back to like, how did people receive this revelation from John? They didn't receive it in the, in the light of all this, uh, you know, all this eschatology talk by theologians sitting in their offices writing PhD doctoral dissertations. They were a people who were saturated in the Old Testament imagery, and they received this apocalyptic literature, and they just, you know, they, they didn't have a 15-second time, you know, attention span where they just wanted to go from real to real to real to real to real. If they're going to listen to this, they're going to they're gonna read it from beginning to end. And God inspired it in a certain way. And again, to me, I can, maybe I'll go with you. Like, I, I agree. Revelation 12 does seem like it's taken us back in time. I agree with that because he's talking about something that clearly has passed because obviously it happened. And then it brings us into the present. I find no such reason to do that with Revelation 19 and 20. And um, again, all the quote unquote clear markers that I've heard from everybody just seems so patently absurd. Um, and it's often made that, again, I, you know what, Greg, I can't put you on a, I can't put like an X on a map and say, that's where the throne of Satan is. Give me a map. I'll circle the whole thing. And I'll say, that's where the throne of Satan is. That's what the verses that you said before. The kingdom of our God is a heavenly kingdom. And this earth lies in the power of the evil one to some great extent. It's why there's wars. It's why it's terrible. And when Christ returns, when his kingdom is manifested on earth, there will be no more wars. There will be no more of that stuff. That, that's the, the promise, this future hope. And the utopia, you know, one of the commentators, uh, not commentators, commenters on our previous discussion on some of the clips from our last episode, you know, they, they expressed as an unbeliever, um, someone who's at least trying to understand what we're saying, Look at history. Every time we try to establish the kingdom on earth, we just perpetuate more of the same nonsense that really the kingdom of, of darkness is perpetuating. It's more persecution. It's more death. It's more, it's, it's just more. And when Christ comes back and the devil is bound, not in a chain bought from Home Depot, not lit, you know, but he's bound. That's what it means. He's bound. It's different. And what we read is in Revelation 20 is different. And then what we read in the final state, 21 and 22, is even more different than that, even better than that. Um, and I think that if anybody just reads some of these things, it becomes clear. And I think in substance, for the most part, we agree. It's just the timing of these things and kind of how it, you know, how it, uh, how it works out. But um, I do push back a lot, not just on the conversation we've had today, but uh, the conversations from previous. Cause I just, I mean, Eric, I, I love you. I don't know how anybody can read Isaiah two and come to the conclusion that that's consistent with this present age. I just, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't know that anybody uh, could see it unless they came with a preconceived idea. Um, and again, I guess people can, Take whatever view they want. I just, I, I don't know how you get there by just reading what it says. Well, that would be a topic for another time because I think there's a lot of good reasons to, to 
understand it as being fulfilled uh, in the church age. But we well, we can talk about that. At well, another, time. another day, another time, another topic. Um, Greg, did you get your final point in, or did I did jump in on you? Oh, I don't know. So we're good. I have no, I don't I don't even remember. I'll be honest. Right. Um I mean, again, as the conversation progresses, um we could we could continue to bunny trail. Um but no. I don't need to drag it out any further. Eric, did you get your last point? I got my um first last point in. <laughs> Make your last last point and that'll be the last point, period. Well, just really simply, um I believe Christ set up his kingdom on earth uh, in the first century. I and when I say that, I just simply mean just the way he described it in his parables um, in Luke chapter 17, uh, the, the king, the kingdom is spiritual. Uh, it is, it is, it's the church on earth, but yet um, we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. Also uh, it's, it's yet future. And there will come a day when the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll reign in the world uh, forever and ever. And the saints will reign with him. And, um, and I, I can't wait until that day comes. Well, that is a good uh, place to end it. Uh, I will say amen to that. And uh, brothers, once again, I appreciate you taking the time. I know that uh, sometimes these conversations can be frustrating. So if I frustrated you, I apologize. My intention is uh, uh, to try and get some clarity. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, your perspective. And um, uh, maybe it doesn't seem like it, but uh, you guys do make me think about these things uh, more uh, more deeply. And so I appreciate that. And uh, until uh, next time, if you guys are still watching uh, at this point, uh, consider clicking thumbs up and share and commenting and, and um, um, I don't know, are there other ones? D- d- th- consider the thumbs down button if you don't like that. And uh, <laughs> don't do that. The, don't, yeah, they could do that. It's fine. Uh, and uh, uh, until we see you again, uh, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.